The National Museum of Funeral History presents The Final Curtain Never Closes. I'm your host, Genevieve Keeney Vasquez, the president and CEO of the museum. Today, we are going to be talking with Barbara Chemis, who is the executive director of CANA. CANA is also the acronym for the Cremation Association of North America. So welcome, Barbara. I am so happy to have you with me today. Thanks, Genevieve. It's so great to be here. When I when I first met you, and and even myself for coming into this profession, if I think if you don't grow up in it and you're not consistently surrounded with it, when you begin to embark upon it, because it's your what your lifelong driven passion that we all possess somewhere deep inside of us, uh, there's always learning curves involved, and there's always new things to discover. So, I know how I started in in, in the industry. What got you started, Barbara? Sure. Well, I, uh, I'm actually a librarian and an association executive, and I'm not a licensed funeral director or cemeterian or crematory operator or any of those things. Uh, so my path was um, I am fascinated by research and data-driven decision-making and associations. And, the you know, nobody grows up knowing about associations, you kind of stumble into it. And sure enough, that's what I did. But bringing people together is uh, the best way to both have fun and get things done. So that's what associations do is they bring people together. Um, In Kana's case, people with a common interest in cremation and cremation best practices. And that's what we're known for, Uh, uh, cremation operations, as well as um, statistics to make, you know, to understand what the cremation trends are and to make business decisions. Um, So I came to it, yeah, uh, I answered a job ad and I wanted to be an executive director after working in a library association and before that a library. And uh, I fell in love, during the interview, I thought it's really a shame that I don't know anything about cremation, they're certainly not going to hire me because the funeral directors and cemeterians in this room interviewing me are really cool people. And I think it'd be fun to work with them. And lo and behold, I got the job. So <laughs> that's a long story short. And 11 years later, I'm still here, still fascinated by the work and have learned a great deal over the decades. Yeah. Well, I have to say that you definitely are the right person for the position because ever since I've known you, um, I have learned a lot from you. Uh, and you know, you were talking about how you try to make everything fun. I don't think I've ever been, uh, to a, a, con- a convention or a, a meeting with you or even our board meetings. And I, and I do also have to mention that you are a board member here for the National Museum of Funeral History. Uh, and we welcome your expertise, your connections and everything that you contribute to our industry. And we're very, very grateful to that. And, and hence the reason why you're on our board, um, but I, I think that, you know, understanding statistics and trends um, is, is quite fascinating. Uh, when I was in my own personal studies of psychology and having to do my statistics class, I have to admit that was probably my most boring one. So my hat is off to people who really find a passion and interest and a drive to that. So what does drive you into statistics and doing some of these number crunches and and what is your takeaway from that? What what do you find still today awe-inspiring when you when you work with all these numbers? What fascinates me about statistics and research and, and num- the numbers is they answer questions or they give us insights. So so many times, um, you know, we ask a question and and we think, oh, there's no answer. I'll go with my gut, 
right? Like I, you know, I know my business, I know my community, I know I've, I've, I'm experienced in this, I'll go with my gut. But then sometimes in the back of your mind, there's this like, well, should I have looked to see if there, you know, if there's research or numbers or anything like that. And one thing I think people don't understand about funeral services is how rapidly things change. Okay. Um, Yeah. Right. I mean, the old joke is, you know, what's for sure death and taxes, right? You're always going to have death and taxes. But, you know, over the even the last 10 years that I've been with Cana, during that time period, we've seen um, the general population of the United States and Canada embrace cremation. And now it's more than 50 percent of dispositions in the United States grow steadily, predictably. And so we want to know why. Why are people embracing cremation? And as, of course, there's multiple reasons. Um, we Cana tends to look at national and state level trends, but funeral homes and cemeteries and crematories operate at the local level. So they can use our data for benchmarking. And we know our members may, you know, may look at cremation rate growth and go to the bank for a, a loan to expand their business or build a crematory. Or they may say, hmm, this is growing fast. Maybe we want to change our marketing messaging and outreach, you know, and so that's how, that's what interests me is when, okay, the numbers are fascinating, great, there's, here's an image, a chart of how it's growing, but how can it be useful, right? How can we make decisions uh, based on that data that are strong? And uh, I'm constantly surprised because the answers do change. It used to be, oh, people are choosing cremation because of price, right? Price. It's cremation's cheaper than burial. That's why people choose it. And that was the number one reason that consumers said they choose cremation, you know, a decade ago. And now it, they say, well, it's because it's what we do. It's what we choose. It's our tradition. Mm-hmm. Tradition, right? Yes. So maybe they in a family tradition, they initially chose it for price or convenience. Um, I live in the state and, and my relative died three states over, where would we bury them, right? So there's, there's <clears throat> other reasons why people may choose cremation, of course. But after a generation or so, it's like, oh, no, it's what we do. It's just cremation is what we do. We would never, you know, we'll never go back. Um, yeah. So, you know, these are the kinds of things we track within Cana and and also new forms of disposition that aren't cremation, but uh, but that are coming up and of interest to consumers. Can you can you elaborate on any of those new things? Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's something that's um, generally referred to as water cremation, the technical term being alkaline hydrolysis. It's now legal in 26 states and wow. um, practiced in 15 states. And it's uh, the reason it's called a form of cremation is is you know because from the end user's perspective, okay, my my loved one died, the funeral home took took my loved one into their care, and I signed paperwork and everything, and then on the other end, I get what look like cremated remains, right, which are bone fragments, um, and but what happens in between? there is different. And flame cremation, of course, there's a crematory, there's heat, there's, you know, all the things you can imagine. With water cremation, there's water and alkali chemicals, and it takes a little bit longer than flame cremation. Um, And there's a few other, I mean, obviously, you're you're using sometimes warmer water, not boiling or anything, but 
not you're not using flame you're using water it's actually polar opposite from a process perspective but the end result is reducing human remains to the skeleton the bone fragments um right. so in that sense it's it's similar and legally that's been the the um fastest way to get it uh alkaline hydrolysis per permitted is making it a a form of cremation. So, okay, welcome alkaline hydrolysis practitioners. We now have members who do that. And and again, from the consumer perspective, you know, if they're interested in cremation, don't be surprised if you go to a funeral home and they say, okay, would you like water or fire? And wow. your response might be, what? I didn't even know there were choices. So, <laughs> you know, you're already <sighs> distracted by grief, right? You're, you're yes. there because you've lost a loved one. And now you're being faced with this new fact of, of a disposition that you never knew of. So, yeah. I mean, definitely that is something you and I will need to work on to get into the history of cremation exhibit. Uh, so that can be known and talked about and, and further educated on so that when our families are faced with that decision or introduced to that concept, they won't be so shell-shocked by the thought that there's another option. And then, oh my gosh, what do we do? I mean, there, unfortunately, the time of death, our love, uh, you know, those that we leave behind are faced with so many decisions that have so to be many, made. Yeah. And uh, unless it's talked about beforehand, uh, it really can be. A, a daunting task. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, again, one of our missions here at the museum and, and I'm sure there with Kena is to get people to have that hard conversation, to ask those questions of what do you want done with your body uh, when you pass away? Because like you said uh, early on, you know, the two most guaranteed things in life are death and taxes. Um, but of course, we can cheat on our taxes. We just can't cheat death. Uh, <laughs> True. Good joke. So, <laughs> so um, you know, with that being said, I think it's important for people to 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 have uh, that, that, that fluid thought process, um, and decide what is best for them, cremation or, um, burial. And now the new one, cremation by fire or cremation <laughs> by water. Right? right. Uh, so are there any other new, uh, new things coming on the horizon uh, within the cremation industry with, you know, I, I, I did have another question. Um, if I can ask this question and then go back to the new trends to see if my first question leads to these new trends. And that was, what was the effect that you guys saw at Cana? And I'm sure you guys went into a full throttle mode um, with COVID and the major increase of required cremations due to the pandemic. What kind of effect did that have on Cana? And did some of these new trends that we're going to talk about after that um, have, a, a, are, are, are they a, an outcome of that or were they something already on the horizon prior to COVID? Mm, that's a great question. Well, they definitely were on the horizon prior to COVID and the pandemic years. Um, but I, well, I'll finish by stating the relationship. I think there exists between them. You know, it was interesting. Um, numbers always tell a story and then there's the lived experience. And the pandemic was incredible. We had a, a Cana meeting in Las Vegas the last week of February 2020. We were hearing something going on in China, something going, you know, why a lot of um, the hotel was concerned because a lot of Chinese travelers were canceling uh, coming to, you know, to Las Vegas, which is a popular place for all tourists, including from China and what's going on with this. And 
uh, we should wash our hands more. And it was disturbing to learn how few people do wash their hands <laughs> frequently throughout <laughs> the day. And we, I mean, that's what we were joking on, joking about last week of February 2020. And then two weeks later, the whole world shut down, except not for funeral directors, of course, yeah. not for death care professionals. They were the, they, they are the forgotten um, essential worker. Um, healthcare workers were thanked left, right, and center, and they deserved every moment of it. Um, so many other, you know, so much other awareness was raised uh, in our, for, you know, for all of us about just who is essential to make our lives happen, right? Mm -hmm. But funeral directors were largely overlooked. And so, yeah, we went into full throttle um, work representing and raising awareness about what death care professionals could do. Um, some of that involved kind of facilitating conversations between funeral directors and cemeteries because um, in some state, well, funeral directors and, and cemeterians don't always get along or <laughs> regularly communicate. And that became important when all of a sudden you have, you know, uh, started out regionally and then became nationally, you know, just a, a mass fatality event, right? Let's call it what it was. Yes. Yeah. And then it was talking to government entities uh, from the state level to the federal level to ensure that our funeral directors could get PPE. Um, there was mask shortages at the beginning, which is hard to imagine. Um, cleaning, you know, cleaning fluid shortage, et cetera. So um, there was a lot of, of that kind of work. And meanwhile, what were our members doing? You know, caring for the dead and trying to care for grieving families, except there were gathering restrictions, which was mm -hmm. hugely problematic. So all of that was the lived experience. And that was real. Um, some of the businesses would say, I'm doing three times more cremations than I've ever done. And that turned out to be true in numbers. But when we looked at the national numbers, the cremation rate grew predictably. There were it, there was not a bump, one and a half percent growth between 2019 and 2020, one and a half percent growth between 2020 and 2021. People didn't seem to be choosing cremation, a greater proportion, right, of, of cremation over burial. But obviously there were one million deaths, one million excess deaths over those years. And so more families were faced with planning an unexpected, unanticipated death than, you know, in five prior years, basically, when you look at the, the, the total number. And so I find that really interesting because, yeah. I, you know, I'm a funeral director myself. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, you know, the way you, you receive information, obviously, nowadays is through the media, through the news. And uh, the way that, that it was coming across to me is I truly expected you to tell me that there was this huge bump in cremation. And here, you know, you are, 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 you know, you are right there on the ground level of it. And you're telling me that that wasn't so. So that just leads to believe that people were still able to make the choices for their loved one, according to either mm -hmm. the, their, their loved one who passed away's wishes of being buried versus cremated or the family's wishes or their religious um, expectations of disposition. So, Definitely. you know, I really am actually happy that I asked this question because it actually was a little disturbing to me to think that people were being forced to go against what it is that they truly wanted for their final disposition. No, no, they weren't. And in the United States anyway, um, the CDC very early uh, made a made a statement that cremation was not required for the coronavirus um, in this case, um, COVID, 
whereas a number of years ago when the first Ebola cases occurred in the United States, actually in Texas, right? Dallas was the yes. first death. Um, the CDC came out and said, oh, cremation is required for um, for e people who die of Ebola because of the, the uh, way the Ebola virus is transmitted up to weeks after death, right? So the the notion of of burial was well. Anyway, there's that's a whole another conversation. <laughs> um, but the CDC, based on the experience with Ebola, said, "Oh no, coronavirus is you know is, is not as transmissible after death. There's no reason not to because um, you know we didn't even know in those early days that it was primarily airborne, right? We were cleaning surfaces and avoiding what we touched and you know keeping distance from each other because um, we just didn't know how critical that would be. But early on, the CDC determined that you know nope, cremation or burial is fine. And actually, anecdotally, what we heard from members in um, primarily in the Northeast, which as we know, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, that area was like really hard hit early on mm -hmm. in the pandemic, as well as Washington state. And it wasn't really until, you know, the summer that it started kind of, the virus started um, moving across the country. But we had cemetery members in the Northeast saying, families would come and say, well, what can you do faster, burial or cremation? Mm -hmm. And depending on their, you know, workload, which is a horrible euphemism to use, but accurate. Sometimes burial was faster than cremation. So the family chose burial over cream. All things being equal, they mm -hmm. wanted their loved one to rest in peace after this horrible disease. And so uh, anecdotally, we heard more of that. Um, but I think you're right. I think people were able to choose cre cremation if that's what they wanted or burial or according to their religious or cultural preferences or directions they were that was honored but time frame right like time yes. frame extended we're used to having right a funeral I don't know as quick as as five days everything taken care of within five days maybe longer if out-of-town guests are coming and in some cases in some of those times it was weeks weeks three yeah. six weeks even um, and that was unprecedented and had to contribute to the grief of of the families who you know didn't know in some cases knew where their loved one was but didn't like thinking of them in a cooler that whole time period right until Correct. the crematory yeah. could catch up so yeah you know, we learned... I, I can speak to that I actually had a personal experience you know my son oh, no. uh, you know he I, I lost my grandchild of 21 weeks gestation during that time period and uh and so yes it, it was um it was uncomfortable. You're right to know that your loved one uh, was in a cooler um, waiting in and, and this sounds harsh, but almost like waiting in line for their turn, you know, yeah. and that's exactly what it was. And and myself being, you know, like I said, a funeral director, I know the I know the other side. I know what it looks like. I know the operational, um, but it didn't make it any le any easier knowing that information and knowing what we were up against, knowing that we were in COVID times. Um, but the grief was still there. The grief was still real. The grief maintained raw um, all the way through. And then, and then we kind of went through a period of, uh, of healing, if you will. And then it was, oh, okay, now we're able to have uh, the, the, the cremation. And, and it was kind of like, it was hard. It, 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 the healing started, but then we then then we kind of had to open that wound back up to finish the process. So yeah. 
you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said in, in, in that prolonged grief period um, during that time, it was very difficult for people. And, and we highly, you know, um, commend everybody who had to go through it, both the professionals and the family members. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Genevieve. That is so hard. And, you know, you're not alone. I mean, a, a million families yes, yes. <laughs> um, plus all the, all the, you know, deaths for, from other causes during that time period were impacted by not being able to gather, not being able to, mm-hmm. to have the, the disposition of their choice um, when they wanted you know, when, when they expected it to be, when they wanted it to be extending that period. Some people volunteered to wait and hold services later, you know, started off, oh, this is two week national shutdown. Well, (laughs) and then it was just supposed to be a few months. And then, you know, it ultimately in some parts of the country became extended to over a year and, and, and some people for, um, you know, for health reasons and other reasons, they're still pretty locked down and cautious about gathering. So, you know, I, I commend our funeral professionals. I mean, um, my my grandmother did not die of COVID, but she died in March 2020, 98 years old, good long life. Okay. Um, but I was, and my, and my mother, her, her last remaining child, were not able to go to the to travel out of state to fly to where she died. And so I will never forget Danielle, the funeral director, who um, through her iPhone set up a graveside service so we could log in through a link and other family members could log in through a link and hear the pastor and see my cousins and the local relatives gather. Uh, They couldn't hear us or see us, but that didn't matter. This was before we figured out Zoom and all that sort of stuff. But but I'm so grateful for her that she's just like, I think I can do this through YouTube. And sure enough, she live streamed through YouTube. Uh, Otherwise, we would have had nothing. You know, we we, we couldn't have we physically couldn't get there. So that's you know, the her amazing, problem solving. The amazing, um, you know, the times we live in, you know, it's difficult for us to, to all experience a pandemic, but how grateful we are to have technology to have mm-hmm. been able to be developed and advanced enough for us to come together in these important times. Um, I mean, even you and I, we're sitting here talking uh, together <laughs> and we're in two different states. Uh, again, technology, bringing people together. Uh, and then of course this going out and, and, and touching many people, maybe answering some, um, unknown questions or giving them information that they, they, they never dreamed was information to be had in the first place. Right. Right. Um, right. And so- I think, I think to, to answer your question, I think with, you know, over in a normal year, it's about 3 million deaths. Okay. Um, but over the past two years, it was that normal 3 million plus a million or, you know, it was 400,000 one year, 600,000 the other year, 2021 to, to be precise. So, and, and the death rate is still high because of course, deaths of all causes are still happening, COVID Correct. deaths, but also overdose deaths and, um, and violent death, you know, crimes, um, resulting in death murders is what I'm trying to say. And then um, just the other diseases that are out there that take our absolutely. lives. So, so death still was happening, although COVID seemed to be the death cause, right? Um, but I think people oh. tend to forget that we still had death going on in the backgrounds that that happens just naturally or w- would happen in a normal year without a pandemic on top of it. 
Right. Yeah. My my point was that we went from an average of like three million deaths twenty nineteen and a couple of years before to all of a sudden three and a half million. And that stayed high. We're anticipating for twenty 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 two was a breather of sorts from COVID, but not from other causes of death. And I think what that means to to go back to your original question is that more Maybe the percentage cremation growth was steady, predictable, fine. But the numbers of cremations, numbers of deaths, numbers of people planning was higher than it's ever been historically. And so it makes sense that people started asking questions like, really? Burial cremation, those are my only choices. Really? We, there's, we, we, well, how can we incorporate technology into this? How can we be greener? How can we, um, the values that we live with now, why can't we express those in death? And so I think a lot of the new forms of disposition and the the, um, increase in popularity of home funerals, for example, which is basically how funerals used to be done Mm -hmm. right before there were funeral parlors. So 100 some years ago, we can learn about that in the museum. Uh, But anyway, yeah, like before embalming, there was, you know, other ways to refrigerate the body and, and make it safe to have in your home. Um, there's all sorts of of things, like old things that have become popular again, or, or people are curious about again. And so, and I think it's because we were so, so many more of us were touched by death in recent years. So it raises question, it supports curiosity. And, you know, so sure, we, we have a lot of new forms of disposition that are now making their way through. But I think also um, increased attendance at the museum, right? Because, Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, COVID years aside, because you had to shut down and all of that, but there's that curiosity has to be satisfied on many levels. So if people didn't know about the museum, they should come and they can do a virtual tour as well. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you made mention to that because our numbers have increased um, dramatically and uh, in a nice steady incline increase. And and I don't know if that's because the museum has become more talked about and it's more, uh, you know, uh, people are becoming more aware of its existence. Or is it because we went through COVID and death really became the, the, the talk of the town, if you will, right? It was in our news. It was in our daily life. It was the reason why we were segregated so we wouldn't, we wouldn't die. And it was we were doing things to save, uh, save our loved ones and keep them from getting ill. And so it, it was death was our life during COVID. And so did that lead people into wanting to know more about what goes on in caring for their loved one? Um, Maybe they wanted to be more aware. Maybe they want to be more prepared now. And perhaps that could be the reason for our increase in attendance. And the museum is a fascinating place to to really help shed light on that stuff in a very neutral environment, Um, either after an experience to give you a better understanding uh, of what was taking place or having an opportunity to learn more about it uh, before you are having to deal with it. So yeah, Agreed. I mean, Barbara, this, I mean, the conversations with you, I could, I could probably talk with you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have as a matter of fact in yes. the past, but I'm yes. grateful for this time together today. Yeah. Yes, this was I fun. Thank you. And uh, so definitely thank you for your, thank you for all your time, for your expertise 
And you have just opened up, you know, so many more questions for me and and hopefully for some of our listeners as well. And I, I really look forward to having you back again, uh, just so we can dive more into other subjects because you are a wealth of knowledge and, and I just, I want to learn more and I'm sure our listeners do too. I would welcome the opportunity to come back and um, I'm pleased to talk to you today. So thank you for the opportunity, Genevieve. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you do for our industry. Thank you for all you do for the end users and their families, their loved ones, um, because you really do hold an important job and, um, and, and, and we are truly grateful to you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on this podcast. And I hope that you will share this episode and our future episodes with family and friends. We look forward to any feedback you have to offer by giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And we hope that you will join us for a virtual tour at www.nmfh.org. And always remember, any day above ground is a good one.